0: We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right. Looking to throw. Benito gives chase. Comes back left. Purdy still looking. Sets up. Ball's loose. Rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on.
1: Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, pretty much like realistically anywhere you can find a podcast. If you guys wouldn't mind subscribing and giving us a five-star review, we'd appreciate it. Makes us more visible. We get a whole crew together tonight. We've got, first on, uh, the first person that joined me, Seth, Seth Olivares. Seth, how are we doing, man?
0: Man, I, I'm, I'm so good right now. Uh, you know, back in school, back with football. I mean, this is easily my favorite time of the year. Oh, my gosh.
1: It is week one, and it feels like a million years since the last time I've seen football, and I'm, I'm just so excited. Uh, we've also got Chisholm Holland on the show.
2: Yes, here with my uh, lava lamp microphone, man,
1: ready to go. Yeah, we we were we were just briefly talking about before we started podcasting about how me and Steven have both noticed Chisholm's mic it turns colors and he has no control over what color it turns. It's just like is like a lava <laughs> lamp of just like different colors that are popping up from the bottom of the mic.
2: Yeah, like it it it's little kids have ruined computer parts because now every nice computer piece you can buy is all like random colored lights. You like, have the RGBs. Buy, yeah, like, why is everything RGB now? Why can't it's I just the, buy it? Like, look at my mouse.
3: It's the vibes. <laughs> I have RGBs in my room right now. You just can't really tell. i driving crazy. I'm too old for this.
1: And that voice of an angel you just heard was our
3: other host for tonight, Stephen Brown. How are you doing, buddy? It's good. It's been a busy night, but I just finished a, another Americano, so... Which americanos be
1: have been adopted into my life lately and it sounds like you need you might need another americano what 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 did you just get done doing you know i think the fans deserve to know what you just got done doing it, it you know it took so a i toll left on work
3: you. a little late and i was like hey i'll be like five minutes late to this podcast get home throw the computer on the desk my mom calls me she's like hey you have a minute And i was like yeah and what she meant was like do you have like 30 minutes and he's like, I just have a little Wi-Fi problem with my my laptop. And like, I go to Google, you know, the homepage opens up, but when I type in a website, it says I have no internet. And I was like, You don't have any internet, so you just gotta log into the Wi-Fi. <laughs> and it was a whole 15 minute thing about uh you know, where is the Wi-Fi settings and what network it is and where is the passcode on the router. So what's a network? Uh yeah, exactly. What's a network? So hopefully when I call her back in an hour after this podcast, everything's resolved or it's going to be like a really late night for me. <laughs> I
2: love I that love, you just left that. her out in the wilderness of non-Wi-Fi life. Like, just figure well, out, like read a book. You. Read a book, Mom. You'll be fine.
3: Yeah. Hey, you got TV. You got a, you got a phone with internet on it. You'll be good for an hour. Go find the Encyclopedia Britannica,
1: okay? Like, yeah. I've got something to do right now.
3: Like, meanwhile, I'm all hyped up for this podcast, and now we put it on hold.
1: Yeah, the Americano's wearing off.
3: Yeah, it is yeah. wearing off. But we and do so, have the, uh, the vintage bottle of rock and roll tequila. Oh, very we necessary. Try to save it for a special occasion. It might,
1: but... might, it might help after tonight's conversation if it, it didn't. It wouldn't hurt. He,
2: was he paying you in Vimbo for that ad? Is that cash or, or Vimbo from Oh, uh, Bob, it's a favor.
3: Yeah. Okay, favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good it's, it's, favor. it's
1: good. It's good vibes only. But guys, oh my gosh, we have quite a bit of stuff to go through this evening. The depth chart was released, Some uh, we got some suspensions, uh, we got some crouton to talk about, and somebody that everybody's been talking about, a top player in the nation, even get some special notoriety today for the Sooners. Uh, UTEP in general, it's game week, it is week one of the Brent Vendables era, and just let's do another segment of some season predictions, but now that it's week one, we can make them official. So game week, UTEP's not good. We'll preview them later. Let's let's get right into the depth chart. That was kind of like the first thing that really slapped on to the timeline this week. Uh, Seth, I'm going to come straight to you. Did you feel like there were any surprises or things that maybe caught your eye when you looked at it?
0: Well, I was definitely leading up to it. I was interested to see who would be the number two Q- QB because obviously there's a lot of names back there behind Dylan Gabriel it was just a matter of who was going to be the guy at least in week one so Davis Bevel gets that gets the nod for QB2 I mean I really don't have any kinds of uh, you know it's not like excites me but it doesn't you know put me in a downer or anything it's just it is what it is he's got experience from Pitt a little experience from Pitt uh, and, and so we'll see how that shakes out, but that was definitely like where my eyes went to first. Cause I was already, that was already on my radar, which I know a lot of, mm-hmm. for a lot of OU people, that was what they wanted to see among other things.
2: What are you, Chisholm? I mean, there's a bunch of stuff, man, that I, I found it really interesting. First off, not a ton of oars on offense, right? Like we just, we know, right? The offensive line is set in stone, mm-hmm. uh, not only on the, the starting five, but the backups right outside of uh left guard where we have a competition between Savion Bird Uh, And uh, and Bray Walker. Uh, So I found that interesting defense, though, man, there's some storylines there. There's a little bit of juice uh, to talk about. Key Lawrence one. Key Lawrence and Justin Broyles. It's almost like he listens to me talk about Key Lawrence. He's like, I'm not giving Chisholm that I refuse. I refuse (laughs) to allow him to be happy. Uh, And then you obviously have a DJ Graham. Sorry, DJ Graham losing his starting spot. Uh, to Jaden Davis, which is a little bit of a surprise, especially mm-hmm. after kind of the reports coming out of practice for the past two weeks. It looks like DJ had kind of taken that job back, but that's not the case. And Brevin will talk about consistency and availability, so read into that what you will. Uh, defense ends are set, but the big one, Jordan Kelly is co-starter with the superstar to be of this defense, right? Jalen Redmond, all offseason, right? Yep. Hey, we don't know what this defensive line is going to look like. They could be good. They could be bad. We're not sure, but Jalen Redmond's going to be awesome. Like that is all anyone has told us all off season, co starter with Jordan Kelly, and I, and I know Jalen Remm missed some time with a uh, slight, as Brent was called it, slight <laughs> concussion, uh, but like just a mild one. I, I don't know what that means. I need I need something. Yeah, to, that's that's like the that. one
1: that definitely threw me. With I need someone Jaylen to put some cold
2: water on me a little bit because I read that and go, that's not a good sign. Like that, yeah. like I, there's no way for me to interpret that well.
1: The two that stuck out for me were definitely the Key Lawrence or Justin Broyles, and I was like, "Okay, I think there are possibly messages being sent here." And then I thought maybe like with the injuries that like uh, like the availability of Jalen Redmond in camp, maybe that's the reason for an or. I don't know if that or if that or if that's just another competition thing. Uh, Steven, what about you? W- were those some of the things that, like, like the quarterback situation, the defensive situation? Was there anything on, else on offense that maybe caught your eye?
3: No, I think you guys pretty much covered all of it. I think one thing that I thought was a little bit interesting was uh, Deshaun White at the cheetah position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, a late move too, right? Over Justin Harrington, yeah. So, so just, Deshaun White's always moved well for a linebacker. He just hasn't been that middle linebacker. Uh, moves out to the cheetah which is a hybrid linebacker safety so it fits him really well um but all you heard out of camp was justin harrington how big he is how well he yeah. moves how much he's bought into this program um you know he's not not late for anything he's at everything you know he's kind of stepped up to the plate for brent venables and uh all of a sudden you come week one to sean whites at the uh, the cheetah hybrid linebacker position
2: yeah i mean in in this is something we talked about earlier a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, right? It was like it was the, the linebacker competition between Stutzman and Igwebu. Yep. And, like, that was, like, the number one, like, who's going to win that job? But we didn't know. Turns out both of them did, <laughs> right? Like, it came pretty clear this coaching staff wanted to get both those guys on the field. And so they started both of them at linebacker. And and then that – well, Deshaun White obviously needs to be there as well. And so they moved him two weeks ago as, as, a, as a trial at Cheetah, and it seemed to have worked. So – you can look at that a bunch of different ways. I don't think it's like a Justin Harrington negative thing. I think it's a Danny Stutzman and Guerbo were too good for one of them to be on the sideline. Like that's the only mm-hmm. way to look at that. I think, and, and that's incredibly interesting because that's, again, that's a late move. They went all the way through the summer and through the fall. Majority of it, Deshaun White was nowhere near that cheetah position, and and now he's kind of getting thrown there in the last ten days.
1: Good sign, probably. You know, it, it looks like that worked. And that's 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 maybe a thing. Like, I guess I was I suppose that. I was pretty shocked by that the most, but the others I thought were more interesting is that I had never thought of Deshaun White in any capacity as what this team is going to trot out as that cheetah position at any point whatsoever. And that kind of threw me for a loop. And so with all that said in mind, uh, Steven, let's just go right back at you what certain things do you expect to change by season's end? The Marcus major is labeled as the next running back in the rotation.
3: <laughs> There's a couple of things. Um, you know, you talked about uh, Jalen Redmond. I think he'll eventually take that spot. He's just too talented not to. Um, and, and you got to look at this depth chart, with like a little bit of a grain of salt. It's who, who performed in camp well and who can perform well on the field. It's going to change, you know, probably by week three, if we're being honest, but um, I don't think, you know, there's going to be an or next to key Lawrence after probably this week, I think he'll pretty much solidify his position as uh, the starting safety there. Um, Deshaun white, Justin Harrington. I still think Justin Harrington fits that position so well um, that he'll most likely take a majority of the snaps later on in the season. I wonder about Trey Morrison and where he might end up. That's an interesting thing. Cause he came, cause he would have been a starter at North Carolina. 100%. Yeah.
2: yeah. 100%. Yeah. Hit, hit. I mean, Trey Morrison would have been a in North Carolina. He's not a, a backup anywhere on the depth chart, right? So he's he's mm-hmm. working for the. And CJ Colton, too, redshirt senior from Wyoming, yep, yep, yep. guy who was uh, an all conference player, third string, right? Yeah. Uh, behind Jaden Davis. And like,
3: yeah, what are they thinking now when they came yeah, to Oklahoma? Like, you know, under maybe Alex Grinch, maybe that was a for sure spot for him. But under a tougher regime, uh, it's kind of looking like maybe it was a bad decision.
2: Yeah. And. Like, obviously, we don't know yet. I, I'm really interested to see how much of a rotation any any or all of these positions gets, right? Because, like, the defensive line last year rotated a ton, yep. sometimes <laughs> to the detriment of the team. The by, But the back end never rotated ever. It, right. You know, they, they was the same guys all the time. So there's going to be some transformation as far as, like, you know, C.J. Colden might play, right? Or he could never see the field. And so, like, that's the stuff that we just don't know. Like, how much does this depth chart matter is how much they rotate. We just don't have that answer yet.
1: And, like, I just think about the pure battles going on at camp. Um, and like, when I think about the interior of the offensive line, Robert Congel, he was there, he played so many snaps last season and it's, you know, he's a guy that's going to be on the sidelines, which I think is interesting because didn't he, he came from Arizona primarily playing guard. If I'm not mistaken, I knew he played center, but and he was interior offensive line, but didn't, wasn't he mostly guard at Arizona? He was a
3: left guard coming again? who, uh, uh,
1: Robert Conjol. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. He played guard.
2: He played his his freshman year. He played center, and then he moved it, to back to center
1: when he came to Oklahoma. And I th- I remember thinking, all right, all right, like we're talking about Andrew Moore uh, or or we're talking about Murray on the offensive line, and thinking, okay, Conjol got a ton of snaps. They rotated Murray in and out a lot last year, and I was thinking, oh, all right, well, it's quite possible that Murray might be the odd man out and it kind of just threw me that that threw me for a little bit of a loop and so seth looking at the big 12 landscape and now that we know like for or at least the week one starters mind us um how do we look at this team now that they put forth these are our guys first second third how do you think this team shapes up in the Big 12 after last season, after exits of several players from not just Oklahoma, but several other institutions like Baylor, uh, OSU, that exodus of those defensive players, et cetera? Where do you believe this team really stacks up in the Big 12, just talent-wise or just team-wise?
0: Yeah, well, I'd say from a talent perspective, I think OU still is has clear-cut more talent than probably every team in the Big 12, you know, Sansa, a uh, Texas or something, which we've all seen what Texas does with talent. But, you know, just on paper, you're looking at the depth chart and looking at even guys that aren't even listed on the depth chart that we know are talented dudes, you know, Kobe McKenzie, uh, Gavin Sokchuk, some, some guys, um, and then even a Jaron Kanak, which he's on the depth chart, but um, I, he's actually a guy who I think will rise as the season goes. It'll be interesting to see if they end up, you know, using him just for four games or if he ends up being too good to keep off the field and they just decide to throw him out there for for some stuff. But, yeah, I think looking at the the Big 12 right now, at least what we kind of uh, see it as right now, who who we know are some of the big players. I think that this it's one is wide open. I think there's it's probably going to be as parity filled as ever um because there's not like a clear cut dominant team at least on paper right now even though I think it'll play out differently um just right now um you know we look at quarterbacks like there's not you know a quarterback out there that really scares scares you like there, a lot of them are good but I don't think any of them are you know going to carry an, an entire team especially against a against OU if they're doing what they need to do so i think i think it's i think it shapes up really well for Brent Venables in his first year because of that, because he has one of the most talented teams, if not the most talented team in the conference. And I would say the talent level is probably not as high as it was last year uh, across the board. Uh, Chisholm, what do you think?
2: Uh, I mean, I think they're starting 22. Uh, it's definitely more talented. I think they got a ton of depth on defense that a lot of people in this conference don't have. Uh, I would say, like, what is what is one area that, Oklahoma has some pretty major concerns at is the backup quarterback. I'm not a big believer in Davis Bevel, just like I'm not a big believer in general booty and most teams, right. If they're starting quarterback, great gets hurt. merch though. Great. Yeah. Merch. Great merch. <laughs> and I'm so glad he leans into it. Like, yes. God, wouldn't it be awful if he was like, please stop making that joke. It'd yeah. be awful. <laughs> I'm so I'm glad, so glad, he glad is that he leans into it. Into it. Yes. Uh, but like, you know, 95% of teams across the country, if their starting quarterback goes down, they're in trouble, but Oklahoma is in that category. Uh, and then I would say the other thing too, right. Is, mm-hmm. Starting five offensive line, the guys that we expected. We already know tower is coming from Cal, which you know, Power 5 school, yes, but kind of a Power 5 school. Like, not exactly a <laughs> – like he's ball. coming over from, like, a dominant <laughs> program that was running for 200 yards a game. like, And so he's he's <laughs> immediately a starter, which I think we all just kind of look at and go, okay, yeah. That's a huge – that's not a great sign for the offensive line if mm-hmm. we just talk about from a, st- a talent standpoint, and that reflects on the depth chart. We have two true freshmen – who are the backup right tackle and the backup right guard, true freshmen, you know, right? Guys who are 18 years old came and won backup jobs at at the University of Oklahoma. And so, like, is the starting five going to be okay? You know, they'll probably be fine. But if any of those guys get hurt, you start looking at guys like Tyler Guyton, who was at TCU, couldn't find a role, right? Like, he's huge, but couldn't really find a role. Bounced around a ton, plugged a bunch of different holes, but was not electric. Uh, You mentioned Robert Condrill, who we know is limited, right? We Mm -hmm. saw him last year be very limited, right? He lost his job to a true freshman. Like, there's not a lot of depth, and so I would say, like, as opposed to like the other teams that we think of, like in Oklahoma's ilk, the offensive line depth is not there, uh, and it's it's alarming that if one of those guys stinks or gets hurt, there could be some real issues. And again, the quarterback position, which has been like the one thing that OU's always been able to lean back on, is well, if our starter gets hurt. We have some other true freshman five star, top two recruit that we can stick in there, and, th- and that's just not the case this year.
1: Uh, that's I think that's more than fair, and um, I think I think I think that the the offensive line situation. I think a lot of people feel comfortable with the interior, but I think still those tackle positions, like you said, yeah. uh, even even the starter tackle positions, it's like a wait and see approach right now, and then and I even think a that a lot they're backed of people are, are,
2: are doing the strength and conditioning program thing, right? Yeah. Like. Hey, it's going to get so much better because we have a great strength and conditioning coach, which I, which I agree with like that logic, right? Like it is going to be a lot better. Like they're not doing kettlebells. They're not doing Pilates. Like they're, they're getting stronger, which is a great strategy. (laughs) I would recommend that for most programs, to get stronger. (laughs) Um, But it is, it is in this, this zone of this thing that I always pound, which is don't tell me how many returning starters you have if those guys stuck, right? Like it's like the, like, Two years ago, I can remember a Kansas Jayhawk beat writer coming on my show and being like, "They have 11 returning starters on defense. Like, that's great. They were awful last year. Like, they're bringing back 11 guys who aren't mm-hmm. any good. The offensive line last year was not great, right? Pretty under. And they're bringing back three starters, four of which now four guys who were on campus. Obviously, Wanya Morris not a starter last year. And they're bringing in a guy from California. So it, you got to really believe that Schmidt is going to like take this to another level. Because if you just look at like known commodity, not great." Like it's not great. Like you're hoping for an average offensive line. Like I, I don't. Yeah. I don't see great, really good there. Like you're hoping for an average offensive line.
1: I think it's more unfair. And we, we're 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 on the topic of the offensive line. Uh, we need to address the kind of the elephant in the room, right? Like there's a lot of talk <laughs> about Wanya Morris missing more than possibly one, two, maybe over two games. Uh, Steven, what do you what do you think about that?
3: It's uh I want to say it's the most surprising thing, um, especially when you kind of hear about the details going into it, because you knew coming from Tennessee that Wanya Morris did have some some great issues and there's that uh the whole debacle about his eligibility right away. Um and that's kind of it's all from the stemming from the same place. So um does it suck that it happened? Yeah, and you you kind of expect more just from all the talk from out of camp, how much the buy-in is um, from this program, but um, you know, if there was one guy or two guys that uh, may have great issues, he'd, he'd be one of them.
1: And, and I and I knew he had mentioned that he had really he had said like his first his transition to Oklahoma was pretty difficult in comparison to maybe Eric Gray's in that, like especially grades and everything kind of sunk with him. Um, and then like there's like other things coming out like you just suggested um, that I, I haven't really dove too much into. Um, so it just makes me wonder about all right i knew that i was told you know tipped off whatever we were we heard, we heard we're told etc like that hey there might be some suspensions coming your way for your early couple games uh to, to maybe expect that and so to like chisholm's point like now you're gonna throw out a true freshman, possibly at or right, slide uh, Anton know. Harrison yeah. over to because yeah. he hasn't
2: played all summer,
1: right? Like, so right. it's very possible that kind of stuff happens. And so, I want to get your opinion on this, and then I'll, and then we'll go full circle with everybody. Um, what do we think about Venables in his uh, possible like approach to like kind of these suspensions? Like, be very getting back to like basically, you know, like like what you probably expect from a normal coach or just probably like very stoopsian way of doing things as far as like, Hey, if you can't hang or do reach these expectations, uh, you maybe have to sit a game or two or three, you know, right. Um Whereas, you know, in the Lincoln Riley era, Baker Mayfield, you know, like Lincoln cried in the media and Baker sat <laughs> one damn play and they brought out his Jersey to the center of the field. Like he had, Died like he died the day before. Like, like was he died. died. The oddest thing is like, he's like, I never want to suspend a player. It's like, and then you realize it was one play. Cause Kyler Murray decided to run the ball, uh, like 70, yards. whatever, how many yards It's incredible. And so like, what, what, what do we think about this Venable's approach to this idea of player accountability as well?
3: I think it's more business, more clear cut than, than Lincoln Riley. And it's just kind of how they handle each other's programs. So, Lincoln was more like a country club, clubhouse kind of thing. Um, you know, everything stays here. Whereas Brent Vittables, he runs his organization. Uh, I don't want to say, like, more like the NFL, but more professional and more, more SEC-like. I get the vibes that Lincoln
1: Riley was ulti- a, a, like, a ultimate, like, players players coach as far as like he wants to be your guy and that's how he gets the five-star guys and like the
3: the cd lamb situation yeah
1: whereas like maybe totally forgot about that venables is a guy that's like very like again like the whole stoopsian dabo situation or uh and of course uh bill snyder like oh well these are like, yeah, these are my guys, but these are also like young men that I have to actually raise. I never got the vibe that Lincoln was like in the business of like taking young men and turning them into actual like men, which I thought was an intriguing part of like his tenure at Oklahoma. Kind of looking back on it, um, Seth, what do you what do you think about it?
0: I mean, just from from what I hear when Brent Bell speaks and, you know, he's really, you know, really kind of preaches, <laughs> um, you know, about the standard and the culture. And, and I in, think In, if in also... between the K's, in between the K's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, and we, if we even look at, you know, I don't want to like hash this up all over again, but the Kale Gundy situation, um, I know that obviously it, it did go over, Brent Minimal's head as well, but I think he did have he, he had a voice in it too, and he, you know, he says like nobody is above you know the standard that he's he's preaching so, and everybody you know is is got to be accountable for it. So, and if there's a transgression made, you know, there's going to be uh, a punishment that fits the crime, uh, so to speak. And so I I think you know I I think whatever for now I'm trusting that whatever he's doing it's fair. It's never going to be too egregious, but I also don't think he's ever going to. Uh, let anybody slide no matter who it is if it's a starter a starting alignment or if it's the backup long snapper, I think it would it would all be the same at least that's the vibe I'm getting so far. I feel like he's got that kind of uh, he he's he's trying to be uh, you know fair and genuine in that way and I guess and then there might be an example that comes up later the season or in future years or whatever where it's like, oh well he handled that differently than you know he mm-hmm. handled the Wanye Morris situation. but for now it seems pretty uniform. So far, like it seems like he's kind of sticking to uh, what he t- what he says and what he what he uh, speaks about.
1: Yeah, Chisholm, What about you? Uh,
2: I think it's it's a pretty good parallel um, as far as like uh, totally different approaches to this between him and Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln, both of them are like okay. So Lincoln and Brent, Brent are both desperate to win, right? Like desperate mm-hmm. to win. Like that's their whole. Th- and Lincoln would sacrifice a lot right to win on a Saturday one Saturday if that meant team culture if that meant standards if that meant prior you know uh, ways that things were handled in locker room situations and things like that if it could help them win one Saturday when Brent is thinking I'm desperate to chase a national championship it is like the four of us are going to take a poll like hey is you going to win the natty this year hopefully all four of us come back and say no right like that's not going to happen so he's willing right. to sacrifice some this year knowing that four years from now, three years from now, whatever you want to say, 10 years from now, when Oklahoma feels like they have a national championship team, the standard has been set, the expectation has been set, and there's already a culture of accountability inside the program where players like Wanya Morse don't make this mistake, right? Like This is about correcting this mistake today so it doesn't happen five years from now on a national championship team. And like that is the thing that Lincoln could never see, is it was always about winning the next Saturday as opposed to winning the most important Saturday up the road. And so, like both of them trying to win desperately in totally separate ways, and I think this 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 situation is a great way to juxtapose how you chase championships between Brent Venables and Lincoln Riley, right? Short term versus long term. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think this is a great example of that. And Brent's Brent, man, uh, I, I think he is uh, he is the standard to the fault uh, in a lot of different ways, which I which I respect the hell out of. Because um, it's hard to do in college football nowadays. So.
1: Yeah, and, like, he is, like, incredibly authentic in, like, a lot of things in which, like, in, in incredibly transparent, as we've seen, obviously, uh, through him just, like, admitting, just, like, yeah, this guy's got an injury, this specific injury, and stuff like that, like, <laughs> we, we, we all talk the about. Charts.
0: The
2: depth chart. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of college football coaches put out depth charts with, like, 55 ores on it for no reason. Like, yep. at some advantage. Right? Brent is just, you know, this is the way it is, you know? we're going to beat you cuz we're going to beat you not because we you know smoke and mirrored our ways on a Thursday press conference. Which yeah. I appreciate again, I appreciate it. And, Sorry, and, I'm 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 uh, excited to not have to cover that anymore.
1: So, one of the things I really like that you said specifically about, you know, just like Brent and Lincoln is that like you said, Lincoln will do anything to win on a Saturday unless you know it was like last season which every the, the entire season was just like incredibly weird and there were no adjustments being made. Um, is that Brent is looking in the future uh, for that, and I think very well on his path to like recruiting and selling that vision to uh, also recruits and just to his general philosophy. A lot of people have made fun of it, went on TV and said Brent Venables don't want doesn't want you to commit and like some like dumb dumb shit like that, you know, like like yes, and
3: those yeah. barstool,
1: yeah, and it's just it's incredible, it's incredible. And yeah, it it was suddenly you get Anthony Evans in as a wide receiver, four star, complete speedster, Makari Vickers, defensive back, a, a highly touted, highly touted defensive back. And then you get David Hicks, DJ Hicks, if you will, Fong, who is who is very, very, very like respected in the 247 community. Uh, Wolfbong gives a crystal ball to OU for DJ Hicks, and who is a top ten player nationally. Uh, I think he's like the number one overall defensive tackle, defensive lineman, uh, top ten in just overall. I thought OU was dead cold in the water as soon as Lincoln Riley left, and apparently that is not the case. We can continue playing football at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, Steven, you know uh, Macari Vickers much better and in, in his game better than I do. Kind of tell the fans kind of what they're getting in Macari Vickers. I think Anthony Edwards can be stated like he's got great speed. He has right. good in and outs in in inside his turns and at first hips. But what are, what is Oklahoma getting in Macari Vickers specifically?
3: Yeah, he's a little bit different than the uh, the other defensive um, backs that they have currently committed. Um, Macari Vickers, he's just a ball player. He loves to play football. Um, He's a guy that has plenty of athleticism, plenty of speed. Um, You know, he's not going to be a burner by any means, but enough to be, you know, a pretty elite uh, defensive back at the next level. And the other thing I like about him is that he's just not afraid to hit. Um, You look at some of the defensive backs in previous years, whether it's, you know, corners or safeties, they're just not there to defend the run. That's just not what they want to do. Uh, Macari Vickers is much, much different. Uh, he's a guy that has played very physical. He has the size to do, he's about 6'1. Um, he can fill out his frame quite a bit, so you can see why Alabama was, you know, sought him out so, so, uh, so long to, uh, basically try to get him to play safety for him. Um, uh, but he'll play corner for Oklahoma. And so, Seth,
1: kind of coming over to, uh, DJ Hicks, I mean, what does this say about oklahoma like new brand new coach they're recruiting at a at a higher level than they've seen for a long time and it's very possible that Brent Venables is going to land a top 10 recruit nationally in his first recruiting class like what's that even say about oklahoma and the brand and the coaching staff at this point
0: to you I mean, to me, it tells me that they are dead serious about preparing for the SEC. And everyone knows there's no secret to what you have to do, what you have to have on your team to be successful in the SEC. And that is elite trench play and a specifically defensive line, which that has been an area that OU haven't been elite at in quite some time. They've had like players, you know, probably Neville Gallimore, is probably the best like interior D lineman they've had in a while, at least like, you know, that's, gone on to the NFL and everything in, and, and, you know, we have to go back to Gerald McCoy, probably before that, who obviously was a very transcendent player. And then, you know, you all throughout the two thousands, really, there was some really great line play, but it's been that long since OU has been at that level. And that's exactly where they have to be. If they want to, if they want to be winning, you know, nine, 10 plus games a year in sec play, uh, so the, to me, it tells me that the, this staff is serious about it, that, that, you know, Brent Venables, since the day he was hired, he hasn't been shy about that, the move to the SEC, um, you know, since hiring Todd Bates. Everyone already knew that Todd Bates obviously was one of the top defensive line uh, coaches in the country, just in how he develops players. But the type, but for them to recruit at this level as well, getting a, a, possibly getting a DJ Hicks. Um, and, you know, then you love the guys, Derek LeBlanc, you know, things like that. Maybe they even get a Jordan Renaud, um, I think, in the next month mm-hmm. or so. I think mm-hmm. that's when he's intending on announcing his commitment. <clears throat> but guys like that, just the fact that OU's like very seriously in contention with those, but not only in contention, they're actually landing these guys now. Um, and if they can get those, that kind of talent on campus to go with the coaching that we know Todd Bates is going to bring, that he brings with him, I mean, the, the, def- the defensive transformation over the next two or three years could be um, to a point where this team is competing for national championships seriously again and not just because they're you know outscoring teams, but it's because they can actually uh, you know come up with those defensive stops against the Georgias and Alabamas and uh, Clemsons of the world.
1: And so Chisholm, what would you say about Oklahoma? And Brent Venables, and this idea in June, where you have like national people uh, talking about well, Oklahoma, they might be the next Nebraska, and yeah. they are going to completely screw themselves by this SEC move. And then the first go round so far, of course, like decommitments happen. Um, but like the the go around and this is the product so far, and they already know they're not done.
2: Sure. Uh first of all, I hope they're the next Nebraska because I want to go to Ireland. Um <laughs> but that's just me being selfish. Uh I, I would say like um as far as on the recruiting front, man, obviously they're crushing it, right? Like I, I don't know if I've covered a better off season from a coach. Who knows what this what the season's gonna look like? Who knows that they're gonna beat Baylor or Oklahoma State or any of these big games mm-hmm. they have coming up? But as far as just an off season goes, like the roller coaster ride of like Lincoln Riley leaving after Bedlam. And then when Brent Venables took over immediately following the bowl game, like, I don't know if you could paint it a better picture, right? Like, it went exactly how it was supposed to, which to your point was a slow June. Like, he told us right up front, like, this is going to be my recruiting strategy. It's going to be a little bit longer of a play here. Uh, so if you look at the two most recent guys, right? Like, Evans and Vickers. Evans was being highly recruited by Georgia, right? And Kirby Smart, mm-hmm. one of the best recruiters in the country. And Kirby Smart thought he had him, and then Oklahoma flipped him late. Macari Vickers was being heavily recruited by Alabama, right? And, and Oklahoma really committed to that recruitment where they had, you know, multiple staff members down there over the course of the past couple of months in Florida and they got him. And so like what that tells me is this coaching staff feels comfortably going up against the big guys, right? Georgia and Alabama and they're winning those contests. Like I just don't know how much we saw of that with the past misery regime. Right. And like uh, with the past, recruiting staffs especially on defense it was always they were trying to find the three star kid who has a little bit different type of a body that they're going to build into something right mm-hmm. like we're going to turn this basketball player into something else or we're going to turn this guy who's long and lanky into this ex, you know whatever they're just going out and getting studs right now and as far as the hicks things goes you know that's just a crystal ball prediction and yeah. I, if I could just be totally honest i don't care about them because yep. they flip on a dime right like it's yep. a, it, it's listed 100% oklahoma today Hicks could go to Georgia and then it's going to be 100% Georgia in three weeks. And, like, that's just the name of the game. But to your, to, to everybody's point here, being in contention for a defensive lineman like that, just frankly, has not happened since Gerald McCoy. And Gerald McCoy was in their backyard. It's the last defensive lineman of this ilk who is really considering Oklahoma as far as a defensive tackle. Uh, and so it's been a long time. Uh, so that's a, ama- like, being in that conversation is a major win. Now, if they land him, obviously, cherry on top of the Sunday as far as just like, big-time major recruit who could really do a lot from just their perception of what the OU football program is, uh, but just, again, being in the conversation is, is just something that just has not happened recently.
1: And so, I'm going to pivot this conversation to just football members only, apparently, because Thad Turnip Seed gets shit <laughs> done. Uh, Steven, you've, you've been the guy I talk to every time I talk about facilities, uh, for any really sport, but especially with this new regime, with that turnip seed, what is he going to actually do for Oklahoma football now that we know some more plans for a football only facility that's going to like change the way kind of like practices are run for certain sports right. at the University of Oklahoma?
3: Yeah, that's something we talked about. I want to say maybe last month um i just never got the information together it was like bits and pieces but never enough to really uh kind of put it out there but i think it was was a gay biker that Mm -hmm. said it today so they're going to do what's called they call it a football operations facility or practice facility whatever you want to call it um on the east side of the stadium where the the track is and you know they already bulldozed the bud so that's out of the way so this will be a facility that houses most likely two full uh, size uh, practice fields, which they don't have at the moment. The ones they, they practice on are, I wanna say they're like 80 or 90, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so it gives a program of Oklahoma's caliber, finally uh, a full size practice field, um, as well as probably another locker room. Um, they're, they're big on the rehab and recovery. Um, so I'm sure that will be implemented. I've heard some things about NIL being implemented, like an NIL office essentially um where players can kind of go and get some nil help or advice or you know whatever they need um for that aspect so it sounds like a a very intriguing facility i think uh gabe said they're going to spend up to 175 million dollars um on this facility so if you kind of want to swing it back to was it 2015 when they announced the uh the expansion of the facilities or 2014. yeah um if you look at those initial plans the facility was going to be much much larger than it actually appeared to be so um it got slimmed down obviously funding wasn't there so that had a big part in it i think you know thad's great with all the planning and stuff but where he doesn't get enough credit is kind of finding those funds and fundraising these projects that oklahoma just didn't have uh you know someone to do
1: and so chisholm Th- that has done this at the University of Alabama. He did yeah. it at Clemson. Now he's doing these sorts of things for Brent Venables at OU. What do you realistically expect then for this campus and for his effect to be on Oklahoma football for the foreseeable future while he's in Norman?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, in my opinion, it's kind of the gross part of college football, which is mostly it's, it's an arms race, right? So who could build the prettiest building uh, and who could put the nicest things, the most PS5s in one room. And that's done better than anybody else in the country, as far as that goes. So, I mean, I guess if, like, you were doing, like, the, they're going to the SEC and they want to be competitive, their facilities are really nice right now. Uh, and they are nicer than, I mean, over half, you know, two-thirds of the SEC. But they're not as nice as Alabama's. They're not as nice as LSU's. They're not as nice as Texas A&M's or Georgia's. Uh, and so they are playing from behind the eight ball there a little bit. And so, yeah, it, it kind of closes that gap. Um you know, I, I, when I opened up my bank account this morning on Bank First, I actually found out that Thad just had just jumped in and taken $10,000 out for the contribution. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, like, that's just how he works, right? He, he's a great fundraiser. I don't know how he does it. I, when I'm gonna be transparent, when they announced this hiring and I was talking to some people, they're like, you don't understand how big of a deal this is. You know, this is a guy who's been really, really successful. And I'm like, hey, he doesn't know anybody from Oklahoma. How's he gonna raise money when he doesn't know anybody mm. here? Like, that, like, that. in $175 million later, it sounds like he's crushing it. So, what the hell do I know? Uh, but yeah, I mean college football is all about the shiniest toy. And Oklahoma Oklahoma's trying to put the shiniest toy on the field.
1: And so gonna transition again right into guys, it is officially game week, week one, Brent Venables era, UTEP hate week, if you will. The line is at OU by 30 and a half, and over and under is 57. It's a 230 kickoff. And on fox so you can actually watch a couple early games if you'd like to uh seth realistically i mean we saw what happened with utep and you and uh, north texas unt um we obviously know all of us here obviously all already know they are overmatched so specifically in this game what might you be looking for maybe offensively or defensively or just
0: both uh, so I'll start defensively. Um, so after watching that, that uh, North Texas game that UTEP played last weekend, uh, uh, it, I mean, it very clearly the UTEP QB has a live arm. He's definitely got that gunslinger mentality, even though, um, you know, he didn't look like Patrick Mahomes out there. It wasn't just like, just, just lighting it up, but he was, he had that mentality for sure. And they, they gave him the green light. He had the, the ultimate green light, Um uh, despite it not really being successful. And I think step up in competition is going to only show how, uh, how how overmatched they are even more so. But I think defensively for OU, I just want to see if the, if that is still UTEP's strategy is just to try to just chuck it deep like one, once or twice per drive like that. Uh, I want to see if OU's front seven, first of all, like how aggressive they are, how aggressive Brent Venables is. Um, and then how disciplined they are while being aggressive. But then I want to see them actually get home uh, in the backfield. I want, I want, to, I need to see see them rush, uh, you know, disrupt the the passer. I want to see them get to him at least, you know, a few times. Um, but just completely, just get him off his of mark because too too often last year and really over the last few years, it just seemed like no matter who the opponent was, the dude had all day. He was just in a clean pocket. He didn't even really have to move left or right. He was just there, just scanning the field, and it's just like it didn't matter who the opponent was, and it just it was one of the most frustrating things. Um, and then, especially obviously, we know the the troubles that uh, third, third downs, down, yeah, third let's down. take Nick Tadino off the field, <laughs> yeah, idea. yeah. So I need I need to see first oh, OU get home get, to get some tackles for loss or get some sacks, but also when it gets to third down and maybe even like if it's a fourth down and like you know plus territory or whatever, get off the field, just get off the field. Some, get off the field. Like it's it's UTEP, but also like that, I need to see that all through throughout the season. Like if you're in a, if it's third and nine or third and whatever, like long like that, that you have to get off the field. Like, I really don't care who, who you're up against. Like that is the money down. And if you're a Brent, and I know it's year one of the Brent Venables defense. Um So there's going to be a, you know, a learning curve. There's a lot of stuff going on in the, in the minds of the players. But I mean, it's like, like I talked about earlier in the talent gap uh in talent you know OU's got more talent than every team on its schedule in my opinion then you, you've just got to find a way you, you just can't mm-hmm. can't play with teams you can't let them hang around
1: and so Chisholm I would ask the same question to you Are, is there anything because it's UTEP like obviously they're they haven't recruited OU's level even with the players they OU stink. has they, they, they should they're kill them and UTEP <laughs> is not good yeah. Is there anything that you're just like trying to look in for or keenly looking at with a close eye in particular this Saturday?
2: Yeah, so it's all about the standard, right? will says that all the time. UTEP was seven and six last year, which will lull you to sleep. You're like, oh, this is kind of like a mediocre team. No, they stink. Go look at their wins last year. Is everybody strapped in and ready? New Mexico State. Bethune Cookman. Oh yeah. Yes. Juggernaut. The HBU. Okay. New Mexico, old Old Dominion, Southern Miss. Louisiana Tech, who I guess is like vaguely okay, and then Rice. Those are their wins last year. Wow. Yes. What, what a schedule. Every time they played a good team, the best team they played last year was was Fresno State. They got their doors blown off. They played UTSA, got their doors blown off by 30. They, they're not good, right? And like, why are they not good? Well, Chisholm will tell you. They gave up 20 sacks last year in 13 games. OU should have five sacks on Saturday. Like, right, like that should be the expectation. Their right. offensive line can't block anybody. They couldn't block anybody last year. No one is as good as Reggie Grimes or Ethan Downs. Oh, you should have five sacks. Their quarterback, yes, he's a gunslinger. 55% completion percentage against uh, the, on average, 80th best defense in the country with 13 interceptions. It's an interception a game. Oh, you should have two turnovers. Like, that, that, that's my expectation. Like, they, they should be dominant on defense because this team was mediocre last year against a soft schedule. So like when they play mm-hmm. a good team, they should get railroaded and Oklahoma should be happy to do so. So defensively create some turnovers. They should get a bunch of sacks. They should pad their stats um, and it should look pretty simple for them because they they lost three offensive linemen along three starting offensive linemen this year. Uh, offensively, their defense was so-so, right? Again, weak schedule. So it's hard to know, but they mm-hmm. ranked in the 40s uh, at the end of the year. Uh, they came up with 28 sacks last year in 13 games, which is pretty good. About two sacks a game. Again, weak schedule, caveats, all those things. If you are concerned about the offensive line, like I am, this could be one of those things where it's a red flag. If UTEP gets pressure, vaguely consistency, consistently, be worried. Because like, th- this team has a little bit of that capability into them, and so I would say like, that is the one major storyline for me, is Oklahoma should not struggle along the offensive line against this team. And if they do, my eyebrows are going to be up very high. And I'm going go, looking at that Nebraska game going, Nebraska stinks, but they're a whole lot better than UTEP. Right. And so, like, now you're concerned. So that, those are the only two things. Like, I think Dylan Gabriel is going to look awesome. I think Marvin Mims is going to run circles around these guys. Golly, that that game this past weekend was awful. Yeah. Uh, and I think they're going to run circles around these guys. And Eric Gray is going to get, you know, eight, nine yards a carry. And that's all going to be fine. But protect Dylan Gabriel. Don't make him have to, you know, roll one direction or another and, and throw a strike downfield. We don't need highlight plays, right? We just need traditional, conventional offensive football. Make it look easy. And then just smear that, that offense because their <laughs> offense line is terrible. Terrible.
1: Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. Uh, my my entire thought, what in going into this process is, OU has the athletes, and most definitely they should certainly have the advantage in the trenches, regardless of who they're trotting out there r- right now. Um, even without Wanye Morris not gonna not playing that game, um, and so to your to your point about being you know thin, and you have a guy that comes transfers it from Cal's an immediate starter. Uh, you know, if they are, if they get consistent pressure, or maybe like more than a couple of sacks, yeah, I would be concerned, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's more than valid. Uh, yeah. Steven, what do what are you looking for?
3: I think you guys covered it with the uh, the guys in the trenches, both on the defensive line and the offensive line. I'll go. Um... I want to see some safety play. I keep harping on this all off season. Excited for oh, Justin
2: Broyles. Strap in. Let's go. Such will, fundamentally sound football. He's going to be in the right Justin spot one hundred percent of the time.
3: Has actually won that position. Then it is the greatest so comeback story of all time. He the has greatest, like comeback we story. all made
2: jokes about him having like photos or something of the previous coaching staff. I swear <laughs> to God, he has money somewhere in that program. He's got a rich uncle or something. How's he playing over Key Lawrence? God help me. <laughs>
3: I, it'll be what what Justin Jefferson did to Justin Broyles was pretty close to still murder. On the campus. <laughs> oh my God. Pretty close to murder. So <laughs> I don't know how he walked away from it. If he actually won a starting position, good for him. That's a great story. Um, all I want to see is I want to see a top on this defense. I don't want to see, mm-hmm. you know, Tyron Smith running, you know, 20 yards downfield and there's no safety oh. five yards away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's all I really want to see. So I don't, you challenges. know, the lines. Sure, you know they have to look the part. If you look bad; it's a bad sign. If you look good; I don't think there's really a, a great takeaway from that. But uh, safety play is something I'll be watching. All right, we're gonna go to scores. Um, let's Sorry, hold go. On. I have one more thought, quick. Okay, one. go ahead. Yeah,
2: go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I just don't. want OU fans to get lulled to sleep because I this game could be because this game's gonna be ugly no matter what happens, whether OU's good or not. Because again, UTEP sucks. <laughs> like. Brent Venables is a great defensive coordinator, and so I need everybody to reconfigure their brain. Brent Venables is a great defensive... so he is going to scheme up two or three sacks, just mm-hmm. wide open blitzer, right? You know, a corner coming off the edge, a linebacker coming from a delay. He's going to scheme up two or three sacks. That does not mean this defense is great. That means Brent Venables is great. So again, if you're if you're watching the trench play, which is what I would tell every OU fan, like number one concern is both sides of the ball in the trenches. If you're watching, you need Reggie Grimes or you need Ethan Downs or you need you know, one of these guys to bowl over an offensive, like create a sack that is not there. So we are talking about yep. pressure. There's a different, there's versions of pressure because Brent Venables is going to create a lot just by how smart he is. There's also the, we have better players than you are pressure. And that's the one that I'm not quite sure is going to be there.
1: And, and, and into that, I feel comfortable with the interior defensive line. And for me, it's always, and I, I've said it the entire time we've been with we've podcasting prior to the season for me, it's always been about the defensive ends. For me, it's always been about oh, at least at least the starting. I feel comfortable with the starting uh, interior defensive line, but it's always been about the defensive ends. But Big Jordan Kelly guy. It I, that was just that was a surprise. I think that could just be like a, another key Lawrence That's thing. I feel like I feel thing. like it's motivation. it to be a motivation thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it just feels like one of those Brent things. But all right, Chisholm, coming to you first. Okay. So the the line did move to thirty two. Thirty two. Okay, so they,
2: I mean, I checked it like two hours ago. It could have been. Okay,
1: so what's your score? What, what, what's what's the what's the final uh, tally on the scoreboard when that game is done?
2: Yeah, so I've 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 been pretty public about my opinion about this game. I have no idea what to think about Oklahoma at, from the season standpoint because, mm-hmm. like I said, there's a lot of question marks. But UTEP stinks. And Oklahoma is going to be pretty good. And most importantly for this one, I think Oklahoma knows that there's been a narrative that the program is dead. Now Kirk Herbstreit and a whole bunch of other national people are turning that right. Like they're starting to make some big, okay, we might be in on OU stuff, but there was for months, right? A big perception that Oklahoma was dead because Lincoln Riley left. Those players know that. And this coaching staff knows that. And so I think there's going to be a little bit of a, of an onus to make a statement, and sadly, UTEP is, is just the team that's first up on the schedule to get it. Uh, so I so I think Jeff Levy is going to pull starters in the se- in, you know going into the second half, and I think they're still going to run the offense. And I think Brett Midables is going to pull starters going into the second half, and they're still going to blitz. I, I think that they are just going to make a statement as far as, like, this is who we are mm. every single minute that this t- this clock is ticking, no matter if it's our starters or our backups. And so I think it can get ugly. Um, so I'll say 62-13 will be my guess.
1: Okay. Seth,
0: what about you? Yeah, I think it's going to be ugly. I think OU is easily going to cover for sure. Um, I don't see it, it, you know, being much of a contest past two minute mark. Uh, so, uh, but I'll I'll go a little bit lower scoring uh, for sure. I'll I'll go fifty-two nothing. And and I and I actually I, I unless I missed a game, I don't believe in the Lincoln Riley era that uh, any of Lincoln Riley teams as a head coach. Uh, have ever shut out an FBS opponent Like they've had shutouts, you know, against like Western Carolina And oh, it was at Missouri State Whatever that was yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that But as far as an FBS opponent I don't think it ever happened under Lincoln Riley So I think Brent Venable is going to kick off kick, kick off his uh, Head coaching career With a shutout over an FBS opponent So yes, yeah, it's, it's UTEP But technically it's an FBS opponent So that's that's where I'm going, 52 nothing. Alright, Steven, what about you?
3: Yeah, I have this as a an absolute blowout, and I think to Chisholm's point, um, I'll add that a lot of these players, all they've heard was, you know, Lincoln Riley's gone; this program's, you know, gone to shit basically. Um, So they're going to be excited to get out there. I think they'll they'll want to make a statement in the first game, even if it is UTEP. Um, So I'll go somewhere around. I'll go OU sixty five. Wow. UTEP 17. I think UTEP will probably score. My guy, Justin Broyles, might rotate over a little bit late, give up an early <laughs> touchdown. He'll be in run. the right spot.
2: He just won't be able to close.
3: He just doesn't have the speed, the closing no speed. speed. So no speed. he should have rotated over pre-snap, but that's fine. It's game one. We'll get it corrected. Um, so I'll go uh, <laughs> U65, UTEP 17. All right.
2: Lincoln-Riley shutouts. Western Carolina at 20-21, 76-0 uh let's see and then it was missouri state in 2020 yep. 48 to 0 and then fbs opponents the lowest they ever gave up
1: was kansas in 2017 they gave up No, oh, okay go. there we go and so i I'm, I'm kind of in between you guys um, i'm kind of more along the lines of I think okay, they're installing a new offense. UTEP sucks. Yes, we all agree on that. Uh, they, we were not expect. I was not expecting that to happen to them uh, against North Texas. Uh, I thought they were better than that. I was surprised, uh, but I think that the offense is easier to kind of like understand. Uh, it also helps that you have Dylan Gabriel leading that thing. Um, but I still think there will be some mis- mis- miscommunications, uh, especially guys that aren't used to playing. Um, and then I also think the defense, not that they're not more talented than their opposition on the side of the field. I still think that the grasp on Brent Venable's defense is going to tell me a lot. And that's something else I'm looking at, uh, for this, this weekend is like, are they really grasping the defense? And that's what Chisholm said earlier is like, yeah, Brent Venable's a great defensive mind, but he's also working with the current, basically working with the current staff. That doesn't mean they have, he has a great, incredible yeah. defensive players currently. Um, and as well as they're learning the defense on the fly. Um, so I think it'll be like, of course, I think OU will score half a hundred. I think they'll score like 52. Um, and I think, you know, I think the UTEP might score like maybe three times, like maybe like 52 to 17, somewhere around there um so kind of like vibing with Seth on the 52 but at the same time UTEP gets three scores maybe later on in the game when you have the twos and threes in there uh, because I do think they'll get guys and those backups in um season prediction time kind of putting it out there just like throwing it out there and we're going to revisit this podcast at, at the conclusion of the season and see what the hell happened or what the hell happened in a good way uh so steve i'm coming to you first if you had to predict as far as the record of this team and like maybe what bowl they ended up in it just really depends i guess on win-loss record if we're being honest if you had to predict what happened this season win-loss record and maybe like conference championship etc y'all yada yada what would you suggest and what would you say
3: Yeah, I'm still writing this. So if Jack's listening to this tonight, I'll have it to you tomorrow. Um, So for Oklahoma, I haven't gone 10 and two in the regular season. Um, Two losses would be to Kansas State and Baylor. Obviously two programs that have a lot of nice pieces um, coming back, returning. I have a couple of question marks, but I think where Oklahoma's weaknesses lie, they kind of have some strengths to address it. So um I don't think they'll have a perfect season by any means because it's just it's too new of a team too many new faces are going around but um, talent wise I, and you know motivation wise I think they'll be good enough to go ten and two in the regular season and uh, win the conference championship.
1: All right so ten and two winning the conference championship which means obviously New year's six bowl
3: New year's six bowl I think I'll go there but I'm not sh- not exactly sure yet still working okay. on it. Give me two okay. hours.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll I'll give you
3: two hours for the. But they article. will beat Texas in the. Uh, I'll stick with my bold prediction. They'll beat Texas twice this year.
1: Okay. Okay. I, I like that. That was my favorite bold prediction. That was a great
3: one. Uh, wait, wait, wait. You're picking Texas to go to the Big Twelve championship? I have to. I said it back in July. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the depth he, chart
2: thing made me out on Texas. I'm just out on Texas. Anyone who yeah. thinks that's an advantage, I'm out. Oh man, it, it's I just such don't want to get weirdo canceled. behavior. Like if someone goes
3: back and listens to that podcast and drives. <laughs> you said this. <laughs>
1: It's such weirdo behavior out of Austin right now. It's kind of making me feel very uncomfortable. Where I'm checking in on like Gerald and all those uh, all the good guys that are from like like the SB Nation affiliate with us at Burn Orange Nation. Like I'm like I. It's just if it's it's strange town over there right now. I might I mean, have to go to so Austin awkwardly. and see what's going on. Dude, do some investigative reporting. I'm into it.
3: Just be on 6th Street, Friday and Saturday night. See what, see what the culture's like down there. Crimson Cream
1: Machine on the street. Yeah. And, and, and we, you know, you could, you could be like, you could do Crimson Cream Machine TikTok. Official TikTok. I tried to do that. I almost
3: got punched by a Texas fan.
1: Oh, okay. Well, never mind. It was then. back in maybe October. I went to that wedding. don't do that.
3: <laughs> and I think, was that the same night that they lost to Kansas? I think so. Yeah, that probably, I tried that probably wasn't a good someone. night to I talk was, to a Texas fan. I was a little bit inebriated, but I tried to interview someone at a random bar on Rainy Street, and they were like, get the fuck out. And I was like, yeah. okay. <laughs> At least you're obliged. <laughs> uh, Seth,
1: w- w- what do you think is going to happen this season?
0: Yeah, I think there's going to be some, some, uh, you know, I don't know if I would call them growing pains, but, you know, learning curve. And we spoke earlier this offseason. I can't remember what month that was, like March or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still feel the same way as far as the defense goes. But I think back then, I I think I had ten and two for OU, but as the season as it, it's just a tale the tale is old as time, uh, my fandom starts coming out, and I've uh, I've since crept up, and I'm at I'm at eleven and one now, okay. uh, eleven and one, and the one loss is at, at TCU, which I don't think TCU's is going to be that great. They you might have Taylor like a top guy. No, uh, no, it's not even necessarily that. It's more of like where it falls on the schedule, and it's on the road, and it's like coming up you know, after the uh, Kansas state game and it's the mm-hmm. week right before OU Texas. Sure. Um, and I just think it's just every, I, I think OU's just going to have, th- they're going to have that game. It just feels at, like in, that moment, in, right? Yeah. But because I'm predicting it, OU's probably going to blow them out. So and it's, it's going to happen somewhere else, but that's where I'm going for now. Um, but yeah, I think OU goes 11 and one rematches uh, Baylor in the big 12 championship wins the big 12 championship. So 12 and one, and then I have them, in that way, going to the playoffs. I know this is a lot of Kool-Aid, but I uh, have not go into the playoffs. And then I don't think they're going to get railroaded, but they're not going to win because they're just not on that level. Like I think they're going to probably be the four seed and they're going to probably be playing like Alabama or something. And it's just, it's going to probably play out similar to the, the orange ball that they played Alabama in that semifinal with Kyler Murray, where they lose by maybe two scores, maybe three, but it was never really even that close the whole game. So, that's how I see the season going, and and that's all with the caveat that Dylan Gabriel is on the field the whole season. If he goes down midway or earlier, all bets are off. That's
1: more than fair, uh, Chisholm. <clears throat> w- what are you thinking?
2: Yeah, so I, I my take uh, on this. Is like a 30-minute take, and I'm going to condense it to three. (laughs) I think college football as a whole is a little bit lost in the wilderness right now. There's a lot of rebuilding programs. I like Alabama. I like Ohio State like everybody else. I'm like, okay, fine, Georgia. Like, yeah, don't feel great about it. My point being is that that fourth spot feels like super up for grabs, and I think there are so many teams who are a possibility of getting there. So start there. So Just say Chisholm does not think that college football is in a great spot right now because there's a lot of programs that are restarting. Now we move forward. I'm not a big fan of the Big 12 this year. I don't buy the K-State stuff, and I can give you a 10-minute monologue of why I don't buy K-State this year. I think TCU is obviously starting over. Texas Tech is starting over. Iowa State, I think, is going to take a big step back. So overall, like the middle of the Big 12, last year, very good. This year, probably pretty mediocre. So then it's Oklahoma State, Baylor, OU, right? Those are the three teams you're talking about. So I'm going 11-1. and I'm saying they're going to lose to to Baylor uh, at home uh, and go to the Big 12 championship game. Likely beat them there and go to the college football playoff. Again, because of the situation. I think the Utah stuff's tough. I don't see that. Uh, Clemson gives me a whole lot of anxiety because they lost both coordinators this year and just everyone seems to be okay with the fact their quarterback sucked and I just refuse to be okay with a quarterback who sucks. Uh, And so like, I think it's a little bit of just like a they are the obvious team who could step in to be that fourth spot. Um, And it's not because I think they're great. I think think it's because I think the Big 12 is pretty passable uh, at best. And I think that Mm -hmm. That four spot's gonna be there. So, uh, unlike Seth, though, I think I do think they are gonna get blown off the football. Because I, I, again, this whole podcast has been like Chisholm does not think the offensive line is good. It Chisholm does not think the defensive line is good. I think they're gonna get blown off the football, and so I, I do think they probably get pretty embarrassed uh, on a national stage against Will Anderson or, you know, if they're playing Ohio state against a Jim nose defense with a ton of talent, actually running plays as opposed to what they did last year. So yeah, they, they, that's my two cents is I think they're in a p- perfect position to like really overachieve and make everyone very excited about Brent Venables. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they still got a lot of wh- a long ways to go as far as closing that gap because they're, they're starting from behind. So that's my two cents.
1: Yeah, fair. That's more fair. Was that quick?
2: Because like I said, that's a 30. Oh, no, yeah. Okay. That, that, was,
1: that was quick. And it, it, like I, and looking at the time, yeah. It looks like it was around the timing I, that you were expecting.
2: I flirted with 11-1 uh, with the one loss being to Kansas for the ultimate zag, but I decided not to go with that.
0: <laughs> I, I'd have to believe my Twitter if that happened. Gosh. Even if oh, you went 11-1. 11-1 <laughs>
2: yeah. national champion, only lost to Kansas. That was my original take, but I pivoted off of that
1: i guess I guess I'm just feeling pessimistic about this team's learning curve on defense in particular mm-hmm. I mean like I know we're hearing all about like how the defend like how the defense is gonna like totally change and shift from what we've seen for a while for basically a decade um especially with better players in the program now on defense uh, and guys that are bought in uh, but I can't get past 10 and two. And I think they lose that Baylor game. Um, I also think, though, and this is maybe it's not too spicy for some, uh, a loss of the conference championship game against Kansas State. But oh, you're buying the Wildcat Kool Aid? Stop I'm, drinking that purple stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking it. the purple Kool Aid. Stop. I like, I like, I like purple Kool Aid though. So I mean, that's like, good. I, at least. I'll do my Kansas State very quickly.
2: Skyler Thompson made a 53-man roster this year, yeah? Mm -hmm. He's he's a backup quarterback of Miami Dolphins now. Do you think Adrian Martinez makes a 53-man roster in the NFL?
1: No. No,
2: right? So, like, everyone is pumping up Kansas State. Is like, Adrian Martinez, Adrian Martinez. We are all admitting that he is worse than the guy who was there last year. Right? Like, So why, why are they suddenly making this jump up to OU and Oklahoma State and Baylor's level when the quarterback is worse? Like, that is my overall Kansas State I don't quite get it take.
1: I I think the notion behind it is strictly just because they seemingly haven't, like, it's, I wouldn't say they seemingly haven't missed a beat. Well, they seemingly haven't missed a beat with the culture that is in Kansas State and the fact that they return so many guys that are all all Americans already and that they're already known as a hard nosed, you know, you're, you're, are they gritty? Are they really Stereo, yeah, your stereotypical lunch pail, blue collar, dude. whatever you want to say. You know how many hard hats are uh, up there in
2: Kansas State? So many hard hats.
1: And but and then and but then um, with the, the added factor of climbing being there and having this like already like although he has experienced several championships at a different level, yeah. knows how to get more out of his teams. And so that's kind of why I why I'm pivoting into into that Kansas State thing. Now like I could be totally wrong in Kansas State like in years that we expect them to do to do great things mm-hmm. fall short and in years that they're supposed to be complete shit win eight games and sure. it's incredible, right That's that, that's Kansas State in a sh- nutshell, but I just think like for me with climbing in that in that culture with what he's been able to do over the course of his career, of course at a uh, program of of course that's not Division one football or yeah. whatever whatever you want to call it these days FBS. Um, it just, it gives me those vibes, but I still think, of course, I think a lot of people here said that Baylor game makes us pretty nervous and are not really wanting to touch that game. So that's kind of where I'm at as far as the season, but talking about Dylan Gabriel, like uh, Seth, you, I think you mentioned that, right? If he, if he goes down at all, in any capacity, all bets are off. So let's lean into that a little bit and come back to you on that. Other than Dylan Gabriel, who could be an MVP of this season on on the squad?
0: Well, this was one of my bold predictions that I've made, and I've been—it's—I feel like it's only been reinforced um, through camp and all that. And so, I think the guy that's really just going to come on and um, you know be one of the the a uh, feature player—you know—he's going to be a guy that they're, you know—whenever a game starts to like impact players of the game, he's always going to be listed. Ethan Downs. I think the dude, he's set for a monster year. I'm actually on record. I believe he will. This is this is probably a pretty bold prediction, but I think he's not even going to lead the team in sacks. I think he's going to lead the entire Big 12 in sacks as well. I don't know what that number is going to be. Uh, I don't think he's going to have like Will Anderson's type stats where he's like 17 and a half stat, sacks or whatever, but I think he's going to, I think he can get 10, maybe 11. I really do. I really, really do. I think there's going to be some games, maybe it's against UTEP. Where he, he you know he really kind of pads it for a while and he gets like two and a half or three in one game but i think he's gonna be very consistent all year long i think he's a guy that the defense is really gonna be able to lean on he's gonna he's gonna clean up a lot of mistakes or a lot of like maybe potential mistakes that would happen on defense because i think he's simply just gonna win his battles more often than not and really just disrupt that in the entire flow of the offense for the other team so yeah, that's my guy as far as uh, maybe a potential MVP uh, outside of you know QB.
1: All right, Chisholm, what's your
2: take? Uh, golly, I don't know if I, I – Ethan Downs <laughs> lead the Big 12 in sacks. <laughs> Will McDonald last year led the Big 12 in sacks at 11.5 with Colin Oliver. Obviously, both those guys are back, Oklahoma State. Felix Anuki Azukuma from Kansas State, whose name I say wrong every time, also back for Kansas State. There's a lot of guys uh, who can rest the passion in the Big 12. It's like the by far the best position. So if Ethan Downs leads the Big 12 in sacks – like monster season, bro, monster season. So hopefully that happens because Nate Downs is a good guy. His dad, a uh, big fan of Nate Downs. Uh, as far as like other MVPs that could be out there, I, you know, I've, I've been on the safety bandwagon, so I'll save everybody. My Key Lawrence being a playmaker as opposed to just a, a stiff body in the backfield take that I've ran out fifteen times. Like the the linebacker stuff, man. I am, I am just totally infatuated with the fact that like David Aguebu was really an afterthought in this program. The fan base was kind of over him coming into the year, right? Loses 20 mm-hmm. pounds, wins a starting job. Not only wins a starting job, pushes another starter out where they had to put Deshaun Watson at, or Deshaun Watson, Deshaun White at uh, Cheetah.
1: Oh. <laughs> Deshaun Watson, not the Cheetah. <laughs> he okay, should be pushed him. out, yeah. Yeah, he oh, was God. pushed
2: out, actually. They removed him. Uh, but they put Deshaun White at Cheetah, right? Like He's played so well that they moved a guy to play a different position. And like, I don't know what that means. He got he got named a captain by his team, uh, right, going into week number one. Like, there's just a lot of things that are like, hey, David Aguaiba was, like, having an incredible offseason. Everybody brace. And I I did not see that on the tape last year. I did not see that in any games last year. I think the most tackles he ever had in a game was six. Like, he has been pedestrian, right, his entire OU mm-hmm. career. But the hype train is real right now around David Agwebu. And if they have a guy who is a, a tackling monster, like we assume Danny Stutzman is, and maybe it's Danny Stutzman. Uh, if We assumed it, but if it's David Agwebu, who's you know racking up big tackle numbers, right? And TFL's tackles for losses too. Like, that's a huge difference maker, because that's really, frankly, a position that coming in, I don't know what you guys thought. I, like, I was like, if they wash out as a net neutral linebacker, right? They're not awful, but they're not good. That's a win, because they just don't have a bunch of talent there. They don't have a bunch of experience there uh, under Brent Venables. But if that turns into a positive, I mean that could be a real difference maker for this defense because we know that Venables had a ton of successful linebackers.
1: Steven, who could be your MVP other than Dylan Gabriel? I'll
3: go. Uh, I was going to go uh, Ethan Downs. I'll go something a little bit different. I'll go Reggie Grimes because I think he does have a lot of upside. I think he's except for the Stephen under- thinks
2: that Ethan Downs is going to lead the country in sacks.
3: <laughs> Not just the country, the entire world. <laughs> Good
2: call. Good call. <laughs>
3: But I'll go Reggie Grimes just to be a little bit different uh, in this podcast because I do think he has a lot of upside um, as a defensive end. I think he's got the, uh, the stature to do it, 6'4", 270. Kind of reminds me of a, a great value version of like what Clemson had in Austin Bryant. He just – he's very fast. He can play physical. Um, I think he's going to have the better matchups with Ethan Downs on the other side. So um, I'll go Reggie Grimes for my my other MVP that could emerge. I'm gonna I'm gonna say
1: Billy Bowman because of the nature in which the safeties are no longer safety nets in this defense. They are active in the the, the defensive philosophy of Brent Venables, and that's something Oklahoma has not had in a while. Um, of course, like I could have chosen Key Lawrence there too. I just think that both safeties are gonna have really special years. Uh, especially under Brent Venables, in which they are being asked to actually participate within the defense instead of just being those, again, safety net guys, cover one over the top or cover two over the top for those guys. And I think he's going to have a breakout year, especially uh, the one that we've been anticipating for two years. Um, uh, and, and I think it's going to be pretty special for him now. Who and Stephen, I'm going to come right back to you. After we look at the season, who do you think we're going to say, look back and look at their stats and look how everybody performed and say, you overlooked them during the regular season, but at the end of the season, you realized they were underrated for their contribution to the team?
3: Can I go back to Ethan Downs after he leaves the, uh, the NFL and sacks this year? <laughs> sure. No, I will go something a little bit outside the box again. I'll go with Zach Schmidt, the place kicker.
1: When the depth uh, chart came out, that was the first time I found out the kicker's name.
3: Oh, it's because you don't watch um, hang Michael time Church thing. Yeah, uh, hang time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said. I said, oh, are that's you guys watching, watching hang time? I subscribe. Oh, hey, yeah. dude,
2: click that. Give, give it a thumbs up, a like, and a review. I like
3: every video. I have my notification bell on, so every <laughs> that's good stuff. Tuesday, I don't even know what day it is, whenever it comes out. Uh, but Zach Smith, I think the place kicking is something that could uh push OU over the top in some some closer games. Whereas Gabe okay. Berkich would just absolutely just destroy a burrito any hope, any hope of winning. Yeah, yeah.
2: even That's hits it. on like one of my favorite things about OU is like they've had incredible place kick. like they went from like awful place kickers to incredible place kickers, and like every time a new kicker All in comes the same in- season. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I always am hoping for chaos with the kicker. Nothing, nothing gets my juices flowing quite like walking up for a 35-yard field College goal and kickers. having no
1: clue if it's going to go in. Yeah. <laughs> like, do, yeah. the, the, the rush. The rush of the that. uncertainty. So, Chisholm, who, who is the guy that you could be thinking, all right, looking back on the season, this guy is underrated and he needs to be valued more?
2: Uh, I think this answer comes from the depth chart. Give me Jalil Farouk. Mm. Uh, right? Guy who monster bowl game, didn't play at all last year in the regular season. Uh, played a role on special teams and it seemed like an afterthought, obviously, because they had a little bit more talent there. Uh, but he's lining up on the outside. And I I know we won't get any honesty out of Jeff Levy, but like the Mims as the slot as opposed to playing on the perimeter is interesting. And is that because that's where Mims is going to get the most target share, or just maybe where his skill set fits the most? Or is it because Julio Farouk's a really good outside receiver, right? And like they're just trying to put the best three guys on the field in, in positions that make sense. I I I have been led to believe that Farouk is, is a stud, right? And he's gonna have a yeah. real opportunity um and so like guys who could like have like sneaky great seasons as far as like maybe not lead the team in receiving yards or lead the team in touchdowns but like we look up and we go wow it was Marvin Mims and then right behind him was Jaleel Farouk uh I I think that's a real possibility as far as being a guy that we all assume is going to be Theo Weiss or Braden Mm -hmm. Willis but it turns out to be Farouk
1: all right yeah I I like that Ooh, I like that a lot uh Seth what about you
0: yeah uh so I'll also choose a receiver as well and I I think a guy that will we'll see that yeah his stats even though we'll we'll notice that he's making these plays it will his, his cumulative stats will stand out nick anderson um i think i think he's a guy and he's actually what is he like he's listed under jalil farouk actually in that or with uh was, was, jj uh, lv or jj, JJ? Yeah, so yeah. yeah but uh yeah i think uh, Nick, i just I, I feel like he's a guy that's been kind of climbing steadily just through the you know through the weeds and in, in camp in the off season, um, it seems like every time he does get kind of mentioned, it's something positive. But it, you know he's not he's obviously not headlining anything um, as far as that goes. But I think you know with his size, uh, you know even as young as he is, I just and and he's already you know on the depth chart as an orb just as a backup basically. Um, and what I expect this offense to look like and how how much I feel like the ball will be distributed. Um, I think he's a guy that there will be games. Probably he'll rack up most of his yards in these next two weeks um, as far as season stats go. But I think he's a guy that he, he could have maybe like 250 to 300 yards total on the season. And it's kind of a sneaky, like, you know, we look at the end of the year, like, oh, guys that are coming back. And it's like, well, he had a fairly decent, you know, and he might even have a touchdown in there. On uh, we like looking at that and thinking, okay, yeah, he's a guy that could probably potentially take off now that, um, you know, once once that uh, wide receiver room kind of clears up after this season. So that's my pick. Can All I right. uh, I'm
2: can a- I give you one more?
1: A
0: real yeah, stupid yeah, yeah, yeah. one?
1: Yeah. No, I like stupid ones.
2: <laughs> Let's get Davis Bevel with some stats. Because here's the thing. <laughs> Pop quiz. How many times did the backup quarterback play in a blowout last year? Once is the answer. They had one blowout where the backup quarterback yeah, a, played. One blowout. <laughs> yeah, one blowout last year against Western Carolina is the only time we saw a backup quarterback blow some crappy teams out. And let's get Davis Bevel some run, baby. Let's get him some yards. Let's get him some touchdowns. Let's have him like you know who accidentally threw for 500 yards this season and five touchdowns? Davis Bevel. Like, let's get some of that going.
1: I like that. I like that a lot. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, st- I'm gonna he stick on the defensive the line, unlike the other quarterbacks. Yeah, that's true. Have you
2: seen? I, I don't know if you guys got like uh ac photos of practice or be around like him and dylan gabriel next to each other is literally oh, hilarious <laughs> hilarious it's, it's like, like Dill, i think dylan gabriel's listed at five eleven that's hogwash it's, it's hogwash. total shit yeah. yeah there's no shot and davis bevel's listed at 6 6 and like every inch of it man every <laughs> inch of it it's like those two guys beside each other is really really funny it's like that derrick henry uh Who's the other running back? That photo that oh, went viral. Deion Lewis? Yeah, Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry <laughs> beside each other. It is like absolutely those bots. It's, like it's, it's a ama- yeah.
1: it's amazing. It is so incredible. Yeah, those still pictures. I was just talking about it just the other day. Those still pictures of Bevel right next to Gabriel. Just complete amazing. Uh, for my underrated contribution, I'm gonna go Isaiah Co. Uh, that's okay. a guy that just over the last like you know, like Alex Grinch recruited Josh Ellison. He recruited Isaiah Coe. And these are guys that we all thought were not. I'm not going to speak for everybody. So a lot of people thought that we're kind of like, hey, the Juco guys are going to come in. They might contribute. And they ended up being actually significant contributors on the defensive line. And he's a guy that I think is listed as second behind Jeff Johnson, uh, if I'm correct. And I think he's a guy that could really come in and give some valuable snaps to them. Um, and disrupt the, the line in the middle. So that's what I'm going to go to. But coming to the last point of this before we head out of here, guys, um, Chisholm, I'm going to come to you first. So imagine ending the season, the it, w- which is the exact replication that you said, what your prediction is going to be. Okay. How do you think the fan base I- in the program are going to be viewed After that happens, after the bowl game and after the season's over.
2: I think this fan base is really excited to have like one of their guys, right? Like, I Mm -hmm. think, I think the Brent Venables being under Bob Stoops and being at this program for a long time and talking and walking and and preaching like, you know, people from Oklahoma. Like, I think that's going to give him a little bit of a a grace period. So in my scenario, right, they go to the college football playoff and and Alabama blows their doors off. I think there's going to be a lot of people going like, see, look, in year number one, Brent Venables already accomplished the most that Lincoln Riley ever did right, mm-hmm. and he's recruiting better, and look what this is going to look like, I think there's going to be a lot of positive spin, and, and probably rightfully so, right? Like, if, it, if he makes a college football playoff in are number one, like, that's a major accomplishment, so I don't think that's, but I'm just saying, like, if it was Matt Rule as the head coach, and Matt Rule comes in, he he squeezes his way to 11-1, and one, he goes to the college football playoff and gets his doors blown off, I don't think it's the same conversation, right? I think the fact that it's Brent is going to get a lot of people excited uh, about the direction this is going, and, and so I think I think at the end of the year, even if they go like nine and three, or, or you know what I mean? Like, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are pretty fired up because the mentality is obviously going to be a change. The defense is going to be better. And like, those are just things that have been like under the skin of this fan base for so long that if the defense improves, I think they'll accept
1: a lot. Okay. And Seth, you were also pretty ambitious about this team going into the season. So what would you, uh, what would you think about that?
0: Yeah. I think if, if OU ends the season with the Big 12 championship and uh, just like a, respectable i guess if you want to call it that uh lost to an alabama or ohio state in the semifinal round uh uh, i think i think honestly the the feeling uh around from the fan base would be probably as high as it's been in you know in the office going into the off season that you know we've had in quite some time around here uh because obviously around that time also will be you know the You know with recruiting period and this 23 cycle starting to wind up uh especially if that kind of stays on course um the the hype and the excitement is going to be at an all-time high we might even know a lot more about you know how soon the the uh transition to the sec will be happening at that point as well um maybe i'm not saying we will but uh and you know just a lot of those things and then like chisholm said about you know this how the fan base feels about Brent Venables. Um, You know, right now he's kind of a can't do anything wrong right now. And I feel like if that, if he has a season like that, um, he's going to have, you know, the, the hearts of everybody around here. Oh,
2: of course. Oh, you pay will be unbearable. Someone has to interact with them every day. They'll be unbearable. (laughs) Even
0: even more unbearable,
2: right? Dude, 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 unbearable. Which is fine. Success, success breeds that. But yes, they'll be unbearable. Yeah,
1: of course. And so, like, if, if in, in my scenario, if OU goes 10 and 2, they lose a Baylor, they go, they make it to the conference championship, lose to Kansas State, uh, but maybe win that bowl game. I think anything, like you said, just like anything nine wins or over, if they win 10 wins, I think the fan base should be pretty happy. Uh, I think Oklahoma's going to be very, very happy if they win 10 games, uh, in, in appearing in the conference championship game. And I think, again, like you just suggested, like him being back the fan base like coming to the airport like literally just playing like he's here he's back after like basically a decade um will only validate a lot of opinions in the uh, minds of sooner fans and even maybe even the media as far as like yeah they got their guy for the foreseeable future for at that in that in those moments anyways And so, yeah, I think it, the fan base and the media would be viewing Oklahoma as, hey, looks like they're getting in the right direction and looks like they made the right hire at that time. Uh, Steven, what do you think?
3: Not gonna lie. Um, Can you repeat the question? I had the next saga in my mom's Wi-Fi. Oh, gosh. Okay, we
1: need an update now. This is important.
2: How's mom
3: doing? Not good. (laughs) <laughs> um, it has been
2: an hour and a half. You've, you've been a little bit longer, so than you
3: my, my dad's computer is doing well connected to Wi Fi, so we can rule out that the router is not the issue. Uh, but now she said, Mine said something, question mark, broken cable, question mark, and that's where we're at. So, <laughs> sorry, mom,
2: is it a desktop or a laptop?
3: I think it's a laptop. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, so, might have a Wi Fi adapter issue, yeah, but it's fixable, it's not a big deal. Well, um. Okay.
1: So so the question is the scenario throughout that you think this is going to happen this season like so going 10 and 2 beating Texas twice in the conference championship game if that actually happens um what do you think the reaction of the media and the fan base will be toward Oklahoma
3: I think it would be positive uh, I don't see a scenario where there's a huge negative spin just I like they'd have to just lose a ton of games yeah. um, to have a negative spin so Um, 10-2, and I think the fan base will look at this as a good starting point to what could be a very good future for Oklahoma. Um, You already have some nice pieces on campus um, um, that that will return next season, but you also add some pretty elite prospects coming into 2023. Um, So I think the expectations for the future would be championship or bust. Um, This season, obviously, there's not a lot of expectations. Hopefully, you make it to the conference championship but it's mostly viewed as a rebuilding year, um, despite all the talent that Oklahoma still has. So uh, 10-2, I think, will probably raise some eyebrows as far as, you know, Brent taking this program to a conference championship or winning the Big 12 in his first season. You know, let's see what he can do with his guys next. So Mm -hmm. um, I think it'll be overwhelmingly positive. Okay, okay.
2: Do you think Lincoln Riley says Brent's
1: just winning with my guys?
3: Probably. They already did that video with uh, yeah. Kyler Murray for like 45 seconds of the video. I mean, like you, could, you could kind of turn around and be like, well, oh, you're winning with our guys, so. Yeah. But, hey, good. but if he says that, obviously he's going back on his word where he's like, I just didn't have a winning roster. I couldn't make it. <laughs> Gosh.
2: Wait, wait, wait. Do you think
3: he's going to be logical about this?
1: No,
2: no, but I'll,
3: I'll have to tweet at him. He hasn't blocked <laughs> me yet. He hasn't. Blo- oh, you
2: haven't, you haven't blocked yet?
3: No, I've been flying under the radar. It's like a little hunt for the Red October. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah I,
2: I've been blocked since
3: 2020.
2: Down there. 20. Yeah, oh, I've God. been blocked for a while. I've been blocked for over two years.
0: Yeah, I got blocked as well.
1: I've been God, blocked, been, I've been blocked since. like, like 20, 2018. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know why. Like he like What me did out. you say? <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't think I tweeted at him. I just like. I just went to go see him the And then like <laughs> I was, I I was just blocked. I, I not even said anything negative about him. Like at that time, heck. Early on in his tenure, we only had positive things to did say about him.
3: Bad about Annie Hansen?
1: No, not not publicly, not publicly. Maybe I don't know. Did you talk trash about
2: Red Hot Chili Peppers? We all know that's his favorite band. <laughs> so,
0: mm-hmm. Talk about his belly tattoo.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, do he? Uh, wait, he has a belly tattoo is that that's true rumor.
0: that was the rumor. rumor and then it
1: was, it was dispelled i was unaware yeah. of this rumor yeah yeah <laughs> no
2: until i see a photograph of that guy's belly i don't believe it i think he's got a the same no no like, it, uh... it,
1: it's it's real it, it the picture that it showed was photoshopped so uh you oh. can't trust the media so it is real he's also <laughs> okay. got a tramp stamp too he's covered up in
3: the same challenge just like where's yeah. the guy from florida with the shark oh that. yeah oh, uh, that's kind of uh, what it was like not mullin it was before Mullen. Yeah, who was right before him? Well, Champ? Mac- McIlwain. Must, uh, must Mac- Plus, Jim McIlwain. Jim McIlwain. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. A shark
2: tattoo.
3: I might have to. No, he was, was... Lincoln
0: onto that picture.
3: He was like it naked,
0: would... laying down yeah. on a boat with the shark,
3: like after fishing.
0: Yeah, like butt
3: naked. <laughs> yeah, coaches <laughs> <To be laughs> of the strange. To be fair, it was planet. pretty identical. Yeah, like
1: and he 98%. said it wasn't him, but everybody knew. <laughs> oh man we're okay let's just end the podcast here guys (laughs) you guys got tattoos see what any tattoos on the club oh i can Uh, see yours so yeah oh oh, yeah i've got i've got a i've got uh i've got a i got a almost a full sleeve i'm i was gonna get it tattooed on tulane weekend then uh my artist lives in new orleans and
0: of course hurricane
1: came through and uh i was more concerned for my artist so um, so I didn't get it completed, but it's, it's close. It's close. 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 Yeah. But you guys have anything else left to say before we head out? Season one, break, uh, week one of the Brent Venables era. Get my ass to Nebraska already. I'm, I'm done with these crappy non-conference games. Let's get to real football. All right. All right. So, all right, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate you guys. Follow us on CrimsonandCreamMachine.com. You guys can follow us on Twitter, at CC Machine. You can follow me, uh, at Camerabi and CCM. You can follow Chisholm, at Chisholm Holland. You can follow Stephen, at OUFDASB. You can follow Seth, also at Seth Olivera. So, Chisholm and Seth, they just have their names like normal people. Um, and you can follow Jack. Except for both of our names are hard to spell. Seth, what the hell are we doing? Yeah,
2: what
3: are you guys doing? I mean, yeah, we're making it tough. I blame, uh, I blame Keegan for my name. Yeah, because he's the one that changed it. Keegan It's True, it's true. Keegan Renault.
2: Why the hell are you let Keegan Renault do anything
1: for you?
3: I don't know. That's that was a bad. <laughs> I talk to Keegan Renault
2: twice a week. I wouldn't let that guy buy my groceries. Come
1: on. <laughs> he's got rock and roll, heart and a tequila. You know, you got to cope with these decisions, okay? <laughs> I might. And, change it. and so guys thank you for listening appreciate it we got to get out of here before this thing gets further off the rails love you guys bye